Hello, everyone. Hello. Thank you for tuning in to the Communication Solution. We are here to provide the evidence-based outcomes to you, your communities, and the individuals and organizations that you serve. Because we are IFIOC, the Institute for Individual and Organizational Change. And so today we have the MI guys online. We've got Casey Jackson on the line. Hello. We've got, I'm Tammy Calais, and we've got a special guest, Jared, who is speaking to us from Spokane, Washington. Hi, everybody. Hello. So Jared actually wrote in and asked us a question. So Jared, if you want to just start us off with that question, and we're going to just talk through it on this shorter podcast. Yeah. So my question has to do with sort of how things have changed over the last year and a half with emails being a, a primary source of, of communication. And so I guess the question is then what sort of research exists or, or how do you reliably discharge lightning rod language uh, or discord or resistance when it's being received in, in either a text message or uh, an email, you know, you get an email with, with all caps or exclamation points and seemingly they're, they're upset. And, you know, it's, it's not one of those excited type exclamation points, but they're upset. <laughs> and that, you know, the language supports that level of, of being upset. So yeah, what does the, the research say about that? And, and how can we, how can we address that through an MI lens? So I kind of put on John to do some research around that, and there wasn't much data specifically around, well, specifically around MI data and like written formats, text, emails, you know, I had to kind of do a, a, wide, a wider swath around that. And so I just have been thinking about it from just a, a pure MI lens. The thing I've always said is in some ways, email and text can be easier on one hand because you can track the types of language. Like one of the angsts that people have is when resistance talk is flying at you, sustain talk, change talk, like what do I pick? What do I grab? What do I respond to? But in especially like in an email format, you literally can just deconstruct it and look at, okay, where's the types of language? What you're talking about, Jared, is it's predominantly resistance talk, you know, or just anger, frustration, pre-contemplation. The, the thing that I've found a is that it can be very effective. The thing that makes it a challenge is that part of good empathy has this tone of compassion to it. And, and what I've learned, even in some activities or exercise that I've constructed is just in written word, when people are angry, when you're trying to reflect how they feel, it can come across as judgmental because they can't hear the absence of writing reflex they almost assume that there's a writing reflex in the mm -hmm. response. So the level of kind of intentionality you have and the quality of empathy is hugely critical to express empathy in written format. And I know for myself in <laughs> what I tend to do when I text responses to my son or something like that, that's like, I start to text and I'm like, delete, 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 and have to start from scratch and just go, okay, what is it like to be inside that person's shoes? What's it like to be in his shoes or on the email? What's it like to be in their shoes right now? And it tends to still work better if we start with those you statements, not in an accusatory tone. And that's where you have to really look at your verbiage is to make sure that the, the language and the tone that you set with what you write is high empathy. The angst that people tend to have is that they get a little nervous if they're validating a reality that they disagree with. But oh, yeah. this is why you're trying to decide, 
what you're talking about, Jared, is how do we kind of discharge that lightning rod language? How do we, you know, minimize that a bit, you know, or, or deescalate it a bit? If that's your primary goal, then you are going to go high empathy and how you construct that is, is critical. It, It really is. How do I go from that place of high compassion and try to not make the change talk point maybe in that same email, even if it's just a single email of, you know, this, your toes got stepped on, you felt very disrespected and you don't feel like you're being listened to. And at this point, you're just not sure if things can move forward and just stopping there. If we even try to move towards change talk, if it's really heated, like you're talking about, it can almost feel like the butt eraser or that discounting of the empathy if then you try to move to the change talk in written form. We can manage it better with tone in conversation, but in written format, it's significantly harder. And with recency effect, they'll feel like you're trying to push change and not, and almost they'll ignore the high empathy you're trying to construct. So some, what I've found can be effective is just sending the high empathy email and knowing that that it has a high likelihood of generating a better secondary response, more of a sustained talk response. And even an apology sometimes of like, you know, I shouldn't have been that angry, but you need to understand and that's where you can first start to see the sustained talk potential or potential change talk in the in the subsequent response. So that, that makes a lot of sense. It's sticking with the high empathy, especially when when all of that language is coming at you, assessing where they're at in that stage of change. And and that's great that they can sit on that consideration of, of empathy. Like you said, the secondary response, then you can gauge your response after that based on what comes back and how they're interpreting the written language, but I think, I think you're right. That's where it's sort of my question is there easy catchphrases that can be, you know, written in a form that can capture those tone, that tone piece. And that's, that's the challenging the piece that I found. We, we try to lean a little bit, not to lean away from it, but when I'm teaching empathy, I really want people to go past the words and even past the feelings. Sometimes I think when we're talking about the written side of it, you know, as I, as I think about, you know, kind of where, what you're bringing up with this, Jared, is that, I think naming the feelings or naming kind of the energy around it, I think is more effective in written format. Like you, I just think of things like you're fed up. You're really upset about this. Your toes got stepped on. So I think it's starting with those you statements and kind of naming what you're, what you're summarizing from the, the majority of the reaction to it. You feel like this was incredibly disrespectful. And the thing that I always think is put you in a good zone. I even think, because I know in some parts we're talking, this could be an HR issue. This could be all sorts of other things involved. People may be looking at these emails two years down the road is it is such a safe place to go when you start with you statements. I think because we tend to lean into I statements so much, I understand you're upset can come across as condescending or paternalistic, even in written form, or it, you can almost hear the yeah, but in that. And so when we lead with things like you feel disrespected you can read that a hundred different ways and it's just acknowledging how they feel. It doesn't feel like you have as much culpability that you caused that problem. It doesn't mean that you didn't, but in written format, I think there is that kind of cognizance that a lot of people have, depending on if it is more of a personnel issue, or even if it is with a client or a parent or family member, I think just acknowledging where people at, people are at in their own, the way that they're feeling is the start of that empathy and it does start to bring that down and it doesn't feel like we're getting looped into that dynamic or that drama where resistance can be you know perpetuated and further i'm trying to 
take that example, Casey, and think about that coming through a text message. And I'm trying to find a single way to be mad about someone saying you feel disrespected because, because you're right. That tone of voice is so critical to this, but at the same point, I don't know if I'm, I'm trying to look at it from multiple angles. I don't know if someone just saying you feel disrespected via text. I, I don't know if I could get mad about that. It's it. And, and what it tends to do when you think of the, the kind of the dynamics of what we know about motivational interviewing is if you go high empathy and it lands, there's a higher likelihood if it doesn't trigger more resistance from you, it may perpetuate or, or draw out more sustained talk then. Well, it feels like this happened and I know it wasn't your fault, but this is how things played out. So there's a higher likelihood that your subsequent response will, will give maybe some resistance talk, but maybe some sustained talk and potentially some change talk in there as well too. And I think the thing, you know, when I look at the lens, Jared, that you're talking through, I think the the challenge would really be when I think about this is not putting the change talk response in your initial response or not trying to put a, a solution or resolution in your initial response. I think because we want to feel like we wrapped it up or we responded mm-hmm. to all their concerns. But I think when somebody, I just love when you said the lightning rod language, because when people are that heated, when they're that charged up, I think they, it's just almost that just sticking with a high empathetic response is the most effective thing that we know to do. And then wait for that next response to then potentially pull, pull the change talk or find a different strategy from there. Mm-hmm. I don't think that'd be readily what people would normally think, but when mm-hmm. you deconstruct it, it, it makes sense that, okay, don't give them anything in your initial response to pick out of there and then discount all the things you try to craft as a, as a genuinely empathetic response. And how easy is it for that, for people to do that though, sometimes too, because they're like, okay, here's this great empathetic response, but I also really need to drive the conversation back this way. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. yeah, I would agree. And keeping that, being mindful of that, like driving that conversation where it needs to be, you've, you've got to get that, like you said, the empathy has to stick first to be able to, to reduce that discord or, or lightning rod language whatever that whatever that is that makes sense i like the idea of, of calling out calling out the feeling or the emotion specifically and and really taking the time to have have that empathy show itself through through the written communication well you know and and jared when you were asked about the research side when i just you know my brain just is flipping through you know just all the reams of data research things you and i've read over the years journal articles is the things we do know about anger and and things like that is that like even counting to 10. So when you think that in an email response, if we can hold the need to defend ourselves or the need to justify it, and we just float out the empathetic response, it's almost like a a 10 count or a one day response till they respond again. And maybe that between the time and the empathetic response, because we know there's data around if people, you know, have more time to process if they felt heard, they tend to, to de-escalate. If they don't feel heard, data shows they tend to escalate. So I think even just the delay in response, less from text, but more from like an email, that if they don't get it for you know 20 minutes or 30 minutes and it's a high empathy response with no defense tone in it, no defense response in it, that in and of itself between the time and the empathetic response, it seems like data would lean towards those are two factors that would contribute to somebody decompressing a bit before their next response. 
yeah, that's another great point because with that communication, we don't know where they were at when they sent it. Their, you know, what levels of frustration they were going through in that time frame. So that decompression in time after reading an empathetic response, that's another great, great piece of information to have in, in responding to, to such types of emails or text messages. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I, Tim, were you going to say something? I just, that was a really good point too. I hadn't even thought about that, but sometimes just slowing ourselves down to not get defensive and not allow other people to get defensive can just make a big difference. Yeah. And I found that the one thing I've noticed for myself personally and professionally in email responses is I think because for a lot of us, our brains process fairly quickly. And so you'll read the email and I go start going into, into problem solving. And, and like I said, even on text messages, what I find myself doing probably well over 90% of the time is then I go ahead and let myself finish writing the email. And then I delete usually the first two paragraphs and just go to, because usually my ending is always tends to be the high empathy closure. And I realize, you know what, just go with the high empathy closure instead of this whole explanation and processing for them and, and, and trying to explain how, why things happened the way that they did. And so that's what I do. And I can almost feel halfway through. It's like, okay, there's nothing here empathetic. This is all problem solving. It's all change talk solution focus. And that's not exactly where their brain is. Go ahead and finish your thought, Jackson. And then I reread it. And then I delete. I usually, I literally usually delete the first two paragraphs and just stick with the last paragraph. That makes a lot of sense. And I, as you were saying that, I was like, yep, me too. Me too. <laughs> and then you just got to write it all out. And then you're like, let me, you know, scale this back a little bit. Yes, 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 yes. Well, so. thank you. Thank you so much. Any other comments? before we wrap up no that was great thank you thanks thanks for dialing into that i just it's i genuinely think these things are you know they may not be earth shattering but i think these are things that people deal with every single day and and i think these are the kind of questions that are value added to just here walk through it i think it probably reaffirms what people already know but it really is just that what would be that kind of a protocol or at least a mindful approach in situations like this i think it's just smart thing to bring up perfect well jared thank you so much for joining us casey thanks for leading this discussion and thank everyone for listening in to the communication solution and the mi guys if you have any questions or you'd like to be part of the conversation or join us feel free to email us at casey at ifioc.com Also, don't forget to check out some of the resources that we have available on our online membership site, um, including lots of videos, lots of practice worksheets. We've got a webcast with Casey that's part of the membership and everything. And lastly, we just thank you all for listening. And this is truly about each and every one of you. So please let us know if you have any feedback, ideas, or thoughts or suggestions, because we want this to truly be what you need in a podcast. So... And with that, we will wrap it up. Thank you guys so much and have a wonderful rest of your day.